0: listeners, I'm Dave Stovall. Thanks so much for listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast. This is episode 20, and the clip I'm sharing with you today is taken from one of our Discipleship.org collective shows where we feature authors. Today's featured author is Pete Scazzaro, and we're talking about his book, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, where he takes us through seven different biblical marks for emotionally healthy discipleship. What does that look like? And um, as the conversation goes on, it gets more and more fascinating. And towards the end, they start talking about what it looks like to enter into relationship with people that maybe have lifestyles that are opposite of the Bible and how to not let their culture or their opinions get in the way of discipling them and pointing them to Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. So here we go. Let's jump in. This is Bobby and Pete Scazzaro.
1: It is my privilege to interview Pete Scazzaro uh, this morning. Pete, do you wanna welcome everyone? Welcome everybody, so glad to have you here. And
2: I'm so glad to be with Bobby and discipleship.org this morning or today Uh, or whatever you're listening to this.
1: Well, it's our privilege to have you. This interview is really a good interview with Pete about a super important book. So anyway, let me tell you about this book. Uh, this book is one of the best books that I have read on disciple-making. And uh, those of you who know me know that I've read a lot of books. In fact, my wife will tell you I've read too many books. Um, But I just want to begin by letting everybody know up front, I'm a raving fan of uh, what Pete has done here. So, Pete, as we jump in, uh, if you could, would you please tell us a little bit about why um, you have written a lot about emotional health seems to be one of the gifts that you have to the church is your emphasis on emotional health.
2: Yeah, we call what we call emotional healthy discipleship really came out of our story and uh, over 25 years ago when we hit our own wall uh, in our own our own discipleship with Jesus and then making disciples and building uh, a church. And it launches on a journey that you know, again over a quarter of a century of wrestling with uh, the the really the content, the biblical foundation of how we're doing discipleship. Not, not so much I mean, the, the methodology, um, you know, Jesus in the three and the twelve and the seventy the concentric circles. That's clear. Um, that doesn't change life on life. But it was the content of that discipleship that we realized we lacked, and that we felt that the whole all our training in seminary leadership conferences, parachurch movements—there was a large gap. And so our work has been, uh, and so our as we began to dig into that missing, those missing pieces, which I would call biblical missing pieces. Or not—it's not about methodology missing pieces. It's biblical missing pieces that, for a variety of reasons, uh, here in the 21st century, we ignore them. We we don't pay a serious attention to them that unless our conviction is that and our work has been as out of a local church over all these years is pioneering how do you integrate this in the context of a local church building a church culture Mm. that deeply changes lives and thus is able to engage in mission sustainably into the world long term so this book emotional discipleship i wrote because um uh, I had written an initial book called Emotionally Healthy Church 20 years ago when this all yeah. first started. Yeah. And it was written to pastors and leaders about this biblical framework and culture. Uh it but I wrote that at a time when the word emotional health was unheard of. I mean, that was like that sounded like heresy, psychologizing the gospel. Uh, it was a very different time in church in the church history. Now it's very different. So what I did was basically that we took that book off the market and we rewrote another one called "Emotional Discipleship" with the same goal. Now, after 25 years of thinking, of what is it to get at this missing piece called emotionally healthy discipleship?
1: Well, that that I, I just really appreciate it. Uh, you and I were talking just before we started, and uh, one of the things I really like about the book is your own personal story, and especially as you start the book. Uh, just telling, you know, your own experiences and your wife's, which, you know, you and I have talked about before, but I just went reading it. I'm like, yes, this is so, this is so true of so many people. (laughs) So you kind of hinted at this, but let me ask you, what led you to write this book? I mean, you've got like five other books on emotional health. Why did you write this one?
2: Well, again, I've written books related to like the Emotionally Healthy Leader, which was to the leader's personal life and formation in Christ. Uh, I've got a number of books out there that are meant for the church, Emotionally Spirituality, which is by far the most popular, some day-by-day books, uh, daily office devotionals, curriculums that are for the church to implement discipleship. This book I wrote with the intention of how do you build a church culture what are the core Mm -hmm. ingredients theologically that have to be in place that deeply transform people's lives i because it's going to come out like jesus formed a community formed, but it was that 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 community of the 12 had a radical theology uh that uh he had to implant deeply in them so i'm looking at a church culture because we don't build radically different church cultures um, we're not going to be reproducing real discipleship church movements. Amen. So it's got to start. I wrote, and I wrote this to leaders, uh, in the church. Cause I, we've got to, the leaders don't live it. We can't, we can't give what we don't possess.
1: That's right.
2: Uh, and so my audience was very narrow in a sense. Um, you know, folks wanted a book for everybody. I said, no, I, I we got to think strategically. This is to leaders, uh, and pastors, um, and so I, I wrote with a bit more of a oomph. Tried to make it accessible, yeah. But yet lots of footnotes of where you can go for further study. Because I get into things like historical theology, church history, all kinds yeah. of things that
0: yeah.
2: uh, a lot of folks are like. Well, I don't really know much about that. I said, I know it. You, you, you need to learn. Okay, yeah. part of your own development is broadening your own discipleship, so you can bring that to
1: the church. What's What's so good about your book is the specifics. Uh, again, you and I talked about this before we started. Francis Chan just came out with a book uh, on unity, and it's interesting because um, Francis says many of the same things that you're saying, uh, and and so it's good, especially the last quarter of Francis's book. But what I really appreciate about your book is you're saying those things, but you're very specific about here's what this means, and here's what we do. Now, Pete, I want to show a diagram that's in your book to everyone, so I'm going to put it up on the screen right now, and uh, it shows the difference between traditional disciple-making and transformative sure. disciple-making, as you describe in your book. Yeah. Would you would you uh, explain this diagram to us? Yeah, I, I would say that, you know, traditional disciple-making
2: in the church is if we can get people... Um, you know coming to christ they're they're part of our community they're attending church so they're hearing the word weekly they're in worship they're connected in a small group uh they're serving with their gifts uh they're giving their time talent and money uh uh then we're going to have an impact in the world that that's and, and so we, we keep our our staff very much focused on that we can measure it's very measurable uh Primarily by numbers, how many are connected? How many are serving? How many are attending? How much giving is happening? Uh, the problem is the impact circle you see on the top right is very small.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, and what the entire book is saying: no, that operating system is more American than it is New Testament. Because uh, in America, we like to we like a crowd. We like to feel good about who's in the room. We we can measure it. We can control it. It's up and to the right. Um, transformative discipleship. Uh, is, yeah, we want to build communities, but we're, we're after deep change. You'll see that thing, deep change. It's Jesus in the twelve saying, no, you're coming here to be discipled. Uh, yes, we may be, you know, we're sensitive to different, you know, seekers maybe in the room, but we are building a community of disciples who are, by God's grace, are going to multiply. Then that's the way you can have a deep impact in the world. But now getting into deep change is a mess. And yes. so, so the work of this book is, how did we you know what what's missing in the way we're doing discipleship that so much discipleship is shallow and then what are the ingredients of getting at this deep change and so again my concern in the book was getting at you know seven marks of a discipleship that deeply changes lives that was my was getting at the finding what that is and then expounding it biblically because my thing is this is hard yes hard work and if you're not convinced theologically or biblically, then don't do it. You know, I mean, you can get a program off off a shelf for any number of things. Yeah. It doesn't interest me because I'm I'm looking at the next generation. I'm concerned about 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now, Gen Zs who are leading the church. And I'm concerned about the culture is, of course, becoming increasingly secularized. That's not going to change. Right. And to think that we are going to be able to grow churches who are impacting the world Without getting serious about discipleship, to me is so foolish. I mean, it's it's absurd. The challenges that our children, the teenagers now, who'll be leading in twenty years, I can't even imagine the challenges from the culture that are coming their way. So, unless we develop deeply changed disciples who will become the because what what's leadership development but high level discipleship? Right. Unless we address that, I, I just I, the American church is going to simply be assimilated into the wider culture.
1: I couldn't agree with you more, Pete, which is partly why, you know, uh, again, um, I got to stick interviewing you and not being the raving fan here. Um, Let's get into the seven principles. But before we do that, can we make sure that we talk about the four barriers you described that we have yeah. to overcome. I think you call them the four fundamental failures.
2: Yeah. I, I, so I, I spent the first chapters on what are the four fundamental, four failures that, that undermine deep discipleship. And, you know, if we had a group of people in a room, uh, you probably could pick out a hundred failures. Uh, and again, what I was trying to get at was, what's the underlying theological assumptions that we're making that are killing us? And so I identified four, and I'll just summarize them really briefly to you. First one is we tolerate emotional immaturity. And what are, and, and the theology of that is that we don't really embrace that we're we're fully human beings and that we're made in the image of God, and so we actually have this kind of a uh, eschatology that we have we have the only super spiritual people who are really into the gifts of the spirit and on fire for God and in scripture and worship and prayer, but they're lousy human beings, (laughs) you know, they're, they're, they're defensive, they're judgmental and, and we tolerate it because they get it done. Yes. That goes back to a theology that was an early church heresy. That was Gnosticism. That was like, Docetism that Christ was, was he full? He was fully God, and he was fully human, right? No, he's both. Like, and we're fully human, and so there's a lot of scripture about emotional maturity and spiritual maturity. You can't separate these two things. Yeah, yeah, and basically, yeah. just think of First Corinthians 13. If you're not a loving person, Paul would say you're immature. Period. Yeah. It doesn't the rest of it doesn't matter?
1: I, well, I, and, I and you're not. You're not. You're. It's kind of like of all the things the New Testament's going to emphasize uh results is not the thing it's gonna it's gonna be the way we love like jesus exactly and so if you look at jesus that was his main
2: friction with the religious leaders of his day was he would not separate loving god and loving people and they were able to separate the two and i feel like we've done I, i i fell into it my first 17 years as a christian where i was so focused on you know god 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 but i wasn't my, my wife and the people around me were not experiencing me as a more approachable, safe, humble, loving person. Yeah, <laughs> Cause I, I kind of had that division and it's a really subtle, uh, bad theology. Um, so anyway, that's the first thing. The second is that we, we put so much focus on doing for God that we, we don't emphasize enough being with God. And that comes out of our American activist tradition. Do, 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 do. And and yet Jesus called to the 12 was first to be with him and then he sent them out. And I think that, that lack of emphasis on my being out of, which I do is a real problem in the church. Yeah. And then the third is that we ignore the treasures of church history that we, we there's so much to be learning from church history. Yeah. Uh, most people are just like, Oh, you know, Luther and Calvin up, uh, you know, the reformation yeah. and up. And we don't really learn from the first 1500 years of the church. Uh, yeah. There's so much riches there. It's our uh-huh. church family. There is no other family. Uh, we ignore those treasures. And then lastly, we define success wrong. We have an American view of success, which is bigger, better, faster, up and to the right. Yeah. Versus right. success is, you know, becoming the person God called you to become and doing what God calls you to do. That's why I say you can be growing your church and failing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You so uh and you can be losing members and succeeding. Yeah. Uh, it's all about what's God inviting you to do at this moment in history in which yeah. you're living. So
1: you know, it's so weird when you dive in like to these four things that you've mentioned. The thing that is kind of disturbing to me is you uh, look at it, and then all of a sudden you go, "How did how did we ever let that happen to us?" Yeah, uh, and I, I and
2: just you know, Bobby, I went back to some of my professors, scholars. And I want, I had the same question. This was, this is like 20, 25 years ago. I was like, how did I, how did I become this kind of religious Pharisee? Like, how could this happen? Like, I don't get it. My wife is all lonely in our marriage and I'm like building the church for Jesus. And, and then i mean, one guy, one professor said to me and I, I had a course and he says, Oh, cause you're, you're basically a Neoplatonist. You know, most even most evangelicals are Neoplatonists. And I said, What are you talking? And I remember him mentioning that in the course on Augustine. Yeah, yeah. And he goes, kind of the body is bad and the spirit is good. That's why you're all hung up on sexuality versus the Hebrew sense of, you know, your whole people. And I just never forget. So I went back, Bobby. I went back to my professors. And that's why there's a lot underneath the book theologically, because I I believe it's theology that drives everything. Yeah. And we can't see it because we're living in the United States, we're in a Western church, and we're just swimming in this ocean of Western culture, and we're blinded to some things that are just, they're really in scripture. And my hope is that people read the book and say, boy, this is in the scriptures. How come I never saw it?
1: Yeah. No, I I, I felt the same way. And one of the things that the book does is the book helps you to have a good lens to look at these things. And the natural question is going to be, how did we ever get here? Which yeah. like what you and I've been talking about. And I think really the the short answer, Pete, uh, tell me what you think about this. The short answer is that the culture has influenced us American culture, American business culture in many ways, Yeah, you know, where we've turned church into a business. Yeah. If we're really honest, you know, bodies, bucks, buildings. Yeah. Uh, um, if we're really honest, the truth of the matter is, the culture it uh, exactly. ended up causing us to get there more than scripture. And so, I'm looking for people on
2: my board who are CEOs, who are business people. Not, that, I'm not against that at all. The point is, versus, I'm really developing godly people in Jesus, deep people in Jesus that listen to Him. Yeah, that are you know grounded. I I think right. We go to and I the Willow Creek Conference. Have all the pastors, I oh, know, they still go to it. You're going to learn from non-Christians about how to how to know, do it how to, better, how to be better leaders, Yeah, how, how, to, how to do branding and your market niche and all that. But it's interesting, you know, and, and we, it was very popular. We love that. And I used, to, I used to sit there saying, I mean, I, I enjoyed the talks and all. I said, but there's something wrong with this thing. Yeah. Because I just don't see the anything in church history on this ever. <laughs> I mean, the people who were the leaders in the early church, the first five, six hundred years were monks. Yeah, who became bishops. They yeah. were prayers. They were theologians. They were people deeply immersed in scripture, deeply immersed in a life of prayer. And they led cities and movements. And I, I said, it's just so different how, again, we we just it's this whole. United States history, Western capitalism, prosperity, big. Uh, and it's it's uh and I think we're paying a price for it. I think some yeah. of the scandals that are emerging that is nothing new. But I don't think I, I think we'll continue to see leadership scandals, Bobby, uh, until we change our discipleship in the church. Yeah. Right. Uh because we're allowing people in leadership who do not who maybe maybe have the gifts and the anointing, but they don't have the character or the life to sustain the the weight of leading.
1: Yeah. And and I think that you did a uh you pointed to something important when you talked about the uh, uh, Gen Z emerging. Uh, we we owe it to them to be working on this stuff because they're not going to buy into the foundations that have prevailed in the evangelical church until now. No. So we got we got to deal with this stuff. Yeah, I, so I, yeah, absolutely. Pete, let me uh, introduce the seven principles. Uh, of emotionally healthy discipleship that you talk about yep. in your book, so I'm gonna uh, I'm just gonna read through them, uh, and then I want to come back uh, and camp a little bit on a couple of them. Sure, Does that sound good. Sounds so the, the first one is be before you do. So it talks about being more than doing. Uh, <clears throat> second, follow the crucified. Not the Americanized Jesus. (laughs) These are really good. Number three, embrace God's gift of limits that, you know, you're limited. In fact, I love, uh, I'll come back to this one because I love a a thing that you say in there. Then the next one is um, discover the treasures buried in grief and loss. In other words, we don't run from grief and loss. We discover uh, the treasures. Uh, Next, make love the measure of maturity. Wow. It's like um, one of the ways I like to describe that, not that I always do it, because I'm working (laughs) on it, is that love is really the ultimate test of a true disciple. Like, of all the things you want to, put in there for orthodoxy and all that at at the top is going to be do you love like Jesus Uh, and then break the power of the past. So we all have a past that influences us. And then lastly, lead out of weakness and vulnerability. So, (laughs) So those are good. So I've got some questions on each one, but before I do that, let me remind everybody who's watching this Please be putting questions in the question and answer box, and we'll try to uh, get your questions to Pete where we can. But Pete, of all these seven, if you could just pick one, and I know you don't want to pick one, yeah. but if you just pick one. Which one is it?
2: Well, I put them in. I put them in an order on purpose, uh, ah. and I I, yeah, I do. very intentional. So I began with B be before you do, and then follow the crucified, not the Americanized Jesus, and embrace God's gifts of limits. Because if you don't do these in that order, you won't do the, It doesn't matter. You won't do anything else. Uh, well, you can't. Because it's all about s- slowing down to be with Jesus, be with yourself, be with others before you do. That first one is the most difficult because I have to rearrange my whole life of uh, to slow it down so that I'm actually being in other words, I, I, my, the state I'm in is what I give to other people. And so it's really that historic thing of, you know, Jesus called the 12 to be with him. It's, and, and I'm going to expand on it. It's, it's being with him. And I kind of try to flesh it out, what that looks like, because it's, it's, it's not just having a longer quiet time. Uh, and, again, what I'm doing is pulling in now the riches of history, of things like, okay, that involves silence uh, integrating the practice of stillness and silence before God into your life, which we don't do very often in the church today. Um, and yet historically in the church, silence and stillness were right up there with Bible study and prayer. I mean, it's just, you can't separate the two, but we're we're just, our world is just so noisy. It's, it's relates to feeling what I'm feeling and having space to actually like, all the churning up going on within me, I'm able to bring that before God like David. I've got space to wrestle with my motives. Why am I in a hurry? Why am I upset that this person sent me this email? I've got time for i got time to reflection before God. I'm not just again meeting 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 racing through life, and um, you know, and so I'm I'm cultivating rhythms in my life to be sabbaths and I call daily offices and but I'm, I'm cultivating a container in my day and my week and my year to be, that's the most important thing I do is invest in my own walk with Jesus out of which everything flows. If I don't get that right, I'm skimming and I'm just, uh, uh, I'm giving crumbs to people because I don't have the space. And my, my first 17 years of leadership, that was definitely me. I was just, I always had way too much to do. Um, and I was doing more than God asked and I was exhausted. So that first one is a big one. Um, because it's really slowing down, it's slowing down, and thus you're asking a different set of questions to people. You know that you're discipling about their being. Tell me about your rhythms in mm. your days. Tell me about your if you're married. How how's how it? How you walking this out in your marriage? Yeah. How you walking this out in your singleness? Like and you're not just racing. I know, but how, how's your small group going? <laughs> you know, is it multiplying? Yeah. You know, it's like well, you're slowing the thing down. Because you're concerned about the person, the integrity of the person, your being and their being. There's nothing more. So you set your church. How is the being, you know, how is the balance? And I use the story of Mary and Martha. The whole most people have way too much activity going on and they're exhausted. Yeah. Well, that's a that's an
1: oil light in a car. That's the Holy Spirit saying, Stop, something's off here. Yeah. No, that's good. Well, uh, let me jump in on a couple that flow and I'm glad for you to clarify that they're in order. Um, I wanted to talk about the third one, embrace God's gift of limits. Uh, As I'm reading through that, you and I talked about this before, it's like, oh, this is speaking to me. Uh, And so, you know, I was appreciative of that, but in it, here's a, I'm just going to read what you said um, about how people will ask you to do uh, things that you just, you just can't. And one of the things that you really advocate for, which I do advocate for, and I'm grateful, that's one of the things I can point to my life and and thank God that I'm have i I've in a good place with it, and that's the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. And uh, so here's what you write in the book. Uh, for example, I'm not available for ministry work or phone calls on Sabbaths. And you clarify that from uh, Friday evening at 6 through Saturday evening at 6, during vacations or during time set apart with God. When people say to me, Pete, I know you're busy, but might you be willing to fill in the blank? You say, I allow them to finish making their request, then I smile and slowly reply, Well, you see, I'm not busy, I'm just limited. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to us about that.
2: <laughs> yeah. I think that words we use are important. I, I think words frame theology. Right. So, uh, we're all very limited. And, uh, so again, the gift of limits I call embracing God's gift of limits, uh, their gifts and given by God. So again, there's a theology for it. you think of when, in the garden of Eden, uh, Adam and Eve, uh, could do it they could eat from any tree in a garden but there was one right in the middle god says he put a limit Don't eat that and it was it was the, they were to trust god's goodness even though they didn't, they didn't know there was like why i i it's right there but they didn't they, they crossed their rebellion against god was closely related to their violation of limits running that red light mm-hmm. and then if you look at jesus in the wilderness the temptation of the devil was all about crossing limits turn these stones to bread, jump down from the temple, bow to me just a moment, a whole world to be saved. So like, But no, it wasn't God's time. It limits. But his, he was trusting the Father and he obeyed. And so you see this issue of limits in scripture. And I can give you many, John the Baptist, You know, a person can receive only what's given to him from heaven. He just, he didn't get jealous of other ministries that were growing. Yeah, uh, And he let it go. So anyway, there, there's a whole theology. So to me, the limits is, a, is such a healthy framework. God knows I'll, I'll, I'll I'll get in all kinds of trouble, and so it's very critical that we embrace our personal limits,
1: yeah. and
2: then we help other people embrace theirs as well. And the church embraces hers; like we're, we're only one part of the bigger global church. Yeah, global church. And so, what's God's invitation to me? What's success for me? And our church success is again doing what God's called you to do. So, with and so there's limits to that. So. Okay, other pastors have the gift mix. For example, I have a church of 10,000 people. You know what? God didn't make me that way. And th- they're not bad, but that's just not how I'm made. So if I try to be somebody I'm not, yeah, I will. Ex- not only will I violate God's nature in me, uh, I'll become a fake person. I'm actually going to make life miserable for everybody in leadership here. Yeah.
1: So part of it is what's what You're trying to be what you're not. And what's God asking you to do? Yeah, it's so important what you're saying, because I think so many people in ministry, especially if we go back to where we started with the North American uh, culture, you know, up and to the right, there's so much pressure on pastoral leadership to produce numbers and to be perceived as successful. And it just ends up putting pressure on people that God never intended.
2: Well, and that's why the chapter before this, before you do is chapter the first mark, the second is follow the American, not follow the crucified, not the Americanized Jesus. The Americanized Jesus, and actually what I did was in that second chapter, I spent about three to four years studying the gospel of Matthew and John on discipleship. And, and from, from two angles. One was every verse was how did Jesus disciple these twelve? What were some of the common themes that he was constantly hitting? And the second was, and, and his process, and then why was it so hard for the 12 to get it? And so when, I, when I, got, I, I ended up having these four categories of the Americanized Jesus, but actually they come out of the New Testament because the Americanized Jesus is actually a worldly discipleship model, and it was in the 12. They had, they had learned it in the, in the synagogues. They, even though they were in the first century, uh, it was part of the whole religious Pharisee, Sadducee system of their day. And Jesus was trying to break them. They'd already been molded; they'd been they'd been discipled wrong, and they had a view of what the Messiah was going to be like and what it would be like to follow the Messiah. That was all twisted up in Judaism of the first century. And Jesus had to break it up and teach them, "No, this is my kingdom." So I so actually these four categories didn't come out of a sociological study; they actually came out of Scripture. So. Uh, that's why they, they cross all cultures. So here, here, I'll just read them to you real quickly. All right. So well, what a, so the world's discipleship is be popular. Jesus says reject popularity, and you know, again Peter wanted everyone to be impressed with him, so he denied Christ three times. You know, that's, that's why right. he, want, he didn't want to go to the cross. <laughs> the world's discipleship is be great. Disciples wanted to be great. They were fighting about who's the greatest right up to the very end, but Jesus says reject greatness categorically. In fact, be little with little people. And then the world's discipleship is be successful. Peter wanted to be a success. That's why he said, never, Lord, you're not going to the cross. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Jesus says, don't no, reject success by the world standards. Complete, just reject successism. That's nothing to do in your vocabulary. And then finally, the fourth world's discipleship is avoid suffering and failure, which is definitely the disciples didn't want to suffering and failure. And Jesus said, basically, no, embrace suffering and failure. This is the way my kingdom is going to get built. So actually, you know, they i call it Americanized discipleship because in some yeah. ways, America, we embody those values that we export to the whole world. Yeah. And it just was a catchy title, but actually, if you if you study, and I've got pages and pages of all these verses in scripture, and so I and I tried to, in a very simple way, lay it out in that chapter. But yeah, I yeah. think Good job. if you don't get this. What's the difference of the Americanized Jesus or the world's discipleship, which is what our, I think our churches is filled, though? I was taught, get a big church, be a success, you know, be popular, get a big social, you know, get a big social media following. Twitter, I got pastors preparing sermons with for one-liners to put on Twitter. I'm like, who cares? You're in the wrong, you know, you're running after the wrong thing here. Yeah. So there is a need to really reject i'm going to call it the americanized jesus which was in the 12 that's why judas quit and really embraced the crucifixion the cross and what that what that means to lose our lives and take up our cross and follow jesus what does that look like practically that's the
1: invitation that's radical today as it was then you know this past sunday I was mentioning uh in a sermon, uh, Hebrews chapter five. And in Hebrews chapter five, it says, Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Yeah. And I'm like, Yeah, that's we don't want to hear that. We don't. We I don't want to hear it.
2: Yeah. Bobby, you know what? I I I say like Jesus. Listen, I'm I'm too old for this. <laughs> I don't I don't want to suffer anymore. It's like it's like Abraham at 120 and God says sacrifice Isaac. If I was Abraham, I'd say, you know what, God? We've been through a lot. <laughs> we don't need to do any more testing here. You know, like, but you know, he's, he loves us, but there's a, he wants to free us, but the way to freedom and the way for freedoms of people are developing is they have to die. Yeah. And we've got to lead folks very practically yeah. into, just like Jesus did with the 12. Yeah. It's very painful.
0: Yesterday. I want to take a quick break and tell you about something cool happening over at Discipleship.org. It's our Discipleship.org collective. It's an online community for disciples and disciple makers. And if you fit in either one of those categories, then the collective is designed just for you. The website itself is super cool because it's basically like stepping into a virtual church building with a welcome center, an auditorium for our main events, and even classrooms. Right now you can get free access to this collective with all of its webinars, seminars, ebooks and even disciple making assessments for you personally or for your whole church. And this is a community, so you can also have the opportunity to connect with other disciple makers. And while membership is free, there's also a premium access option which includes courses, certifications and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So head on over to discipleship.org/collective and sign up for your free membership today.
1: Pete, uh, one of the sections in there is to discover treasures buried in grief and loss. One of the things that I uh, think that God's blessed you with the ability to do is create really good summaries and diagrams. Mm -hmm. And uh, I want to share with everybody the... uh, the diagram in front of, which is taken out of Pete's book, it's God's three phases for processing grief and loss. So I I wanted uh, just to highlight this because I think it's really good. Um, I'd like you to talk about it, but it it mentions the three parts. Pay attention to pain. Number two, wait in the confusing in between. And number three, allow the old to birth the new. You know, when I read that and when I was thinking about it, I keep kept thinking, we like to medicate our pain, not mm-hmm. walk through it. Talk to us about this, Pete. Yeah. So this is a that's
2: a little summary. I would say of, of all of Scripture on how, again, we have the world's way of doing grief and loss, which is medicate, deny, suppress. Uh, so we're in the middle of probably one of the most incredible grief moments globally. I mean, when COVID ends, whatever that is there's going to be an enormous grief uh, of just all that's happened. And I mean, the grief is on so many layers and we should be leading the culture in this because that we have the Bible. Do you realize the Bible, we have a whole book called lamentations. Okay. A whole book. We have two thirds of the Psalms are laments. Job is 35 chapters of lamenting. Jesus was called, you know, G- 35 chapters. He's struggling in anguish. Jeremiah, man of sorrows. Jesus is called man of sorrows. So I mean, it's all in Scripture. Uh, We actually are given God's way of processing this. And actually, I would say this: you cannot mature as a disciple unless you walk through grief and loss God's way and let it change you and receive His treasure. So by paying attention to pain, now we're back to emotional health. That means you have to be able to feel. I get a lot of passion. How do you feel? Because I I I think this. I I don't really do feelings. That's why you know I, I do anger. i was like I know that's how I live my life. Well, that's a problem because jesus felt god feels david in the psalms we see him you know whoa pouring out massive feelings before god sadness fear anger rage suicide depression he's just but he does it before the lord that's what makes him so amazing but we we don't but we're not despairing we do it before the lord and then we we bring it to god like something has died like oh covid has been horrific and something's over, like there's a pre-COVID like world that we lived in yeah, that yeah. is over. We're in this kind of like painful waiting on God. Like, okay, God, there's a new that's gonna come. Whatever God wants to birth, God does, God is a God of resurrection. So we hold on to the fact that Jesus is alive. Yeah. And he is a God of the living, not the dead. So, and and so I I I I know God's got new, but it's not here yet. So I'm kind of in this waiting period. Job probably waited years in that confusing in between. David clearly waited running from Saul for 10 years or whatever, and Joseph as well. So you got this, it's this huge, so it's holding these three phases together, which often overlap. It's painful work. Yeah. You know, there's losses on so many levels, personal, family. I I mean, I list a whole bunch in that chapter, but this is such a critical discipleship issue.
1: Yeah. It really is because, um, again, uh, we mentioned this at the beginning, but I just want to highlight it. We live in a culture uh, where we want to avoid pain or medicate pain, deny pain. And one of the things that compounds it is the average uh, Christian is immature, and they tend to think God is good, God's for me, therefore God's going to help me to avoid pain. Yes. When in, when in fact God's goodness may show up in that he brings pain. Well, I guess he allows it to come. I would say not may God will show up. Yes. In other words, the fact that Jesus,
2: I mean, my morning prayer times have been around right now. I'm just happy to be going through Mark and I'm just meditating on the crucifixion of Jesus. And I'm like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, that's not the victory chant that we would like. But, he has, he's, but he's saying, my God, my God. And I'm thinking, you know, I want to follow Jesus that doesn't, I don't have to share in his sufferings. I don't have to go to the cross and die. I don't have moments where I say, Lord, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will. I may not be dying for the sins of the world, but I'm following Jesus of Nazareth, my Lord, and so there's a sense where he he provides the model of what life is meant to be, you know, for us. So grief and loss. I, again, I'll say, I said we're not going to develop mature disciples if we don't lead people into how. What does it mean to follow Jesus
1: through our losses in life? Well, that's good. Hey, Pete, in the chat box, here's one of the questions. Um, <clears throat> I got, uh, Bruce says, "How would you encourage your senior pastor?" To adopt emotionally healthy discipleship uh, versus the CEO leadership style. There's a couple of other questions I want to get to, but given that we're talking about a totally different model, yeah, yeah. Uh where would you start? Yeah, you know, I I would I would say
2: start with yourself. Uh <laughs> start with you. Um <laughs> you gotta understand your your senior pastor, just like uh, just like i just talk just like myself he's been shaped by, it's not his fault. He was shaped by a culture, and it's deep. Do you understand, it's hundreds of years of history, it's, yeah. it's, it's so, so it's not, like in some ways, I, I feel like myself too, I was like, this is gonna take time. This is, changing a culture, and I say this at the end of the book, how do you implement this? You're looking at a seven to 10 year block of time. Yeah. To change a culture, it's very slow. The American church is in deep trouble. So I would say you live it out because the fruit of your life will speak. I I don't, I would not rush to quote, change him or your church. I would look, we like to say, fine, you live it. Uh, Maybe ask permission and do a pilot with some people, you know, do the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship Course. There's a course that, you know, that we offer to churches, but you want to, if you're not living it, don't do it. We don't need programs. You know, <laughs> it's all only meant to give you a structure to get the content practically into some people's lives, so you can work with them. Um, but I, I would go really slow and non-judgmentally, remembering how slow we change.
1: Yeah. you know, I like that uh, expression. Uh, I forget who said it, but everybody thinks of changing the world. Very few people think of changing themselves, yeah. and that's uh, harder. It's so important to start. And like- I would say
2: to you that the situation you're in, not that you never leave a church, but this is part of God's working on you. Yeah. You're in this kind of difficult spot and, uh, you know, but you want to be a supportive champion, prayerful staff person, leader in that church.
1: That's good. Now uh, the next question ties in with the next principle and, uh, Mike puts it this way. Is there a good way to measure a person's love other than first corinthians 13 or galatians 5. um you know <clears throat> uh
2: is there a good way there are better ways you know nice people for example like we have christian nice right yeah christian nice generally is all people lying a lot <laughs> So that's, again, how do you define loving? And so going back to, we have this nice Christian culture, which is kind of like a global culture. I, I don't, that's not what we're talking about here. Um, uh, it's about being, about being able to bond with people, connect with people. Like, for example, if you don't do your own grief, you can't enter other people's griefs. The degree to which you enter your own grief and pain and losses is the degree to which you can enter other people's well, pains and losses. Um, and the degree to which you love yourself in a healthy way is the degree to which you're able to love other people. So it was, again, everything flows out of our lives. So um, we have a nice little assessment. It's a free assessment on our website um, on Am I an Emotional Infant, Child, Adolescent or Adult?
1: Yeah. Uh,
2: and it's based on these seven marks. And I would just go to emotionallyhealthy.org mature. It's free. Take it. It takes about 15, 20 minutes. See how you do. That's a nice little introduction of where am I on this? Again, I don't separate emotional maturity and loving yeah they're they're, they're tightly connected yeah it it really really you know my wife my wife is right now in the middle of um with her she has six siblings she's seven of them in her family and they're dealing with her mother's 95 and you know inheritance and the house and all this stuff she's still alive but she's older but their ability her ability to enter that family system and the complexities she's the sixth of seven and she's doing a great job and you know, have a mature conversation with kind of it's it's loaded, it's so highly charged with history and birth order and money and inheritance. And it's just the mother and but she's doing tremendous. But you think to me, that's this is like this is your spirituality in practice. Yeah. How do you hold on to the relationships? Um, that's which is the priority of everything, and not uh, get triggered by unresolved stuff in your life or your siblings' life who may attack you for something, but. I'm looking at said, this, this is discipleship, that we're yeah. equipping people to love in these difficult situations. Yeah. See, it's, it's loving your enemies in difficult situations. Yeah. That's the challenge.
1: Yeah. Um, I, and I, you know, one of the things that really comes out when churches emphasize disciple making is you get people into relationships and then you get them into relationships. But if you're not a uh, training and equipping them to grow in these areas, things just blow up. Yeah. It's like you have You know, my sinful nature and your sinful nature and this other person's sinful nature. And we come into a group with all these idealistic expectations and we're 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 discipling, and all of a sudden stuff comes out. And I'll tell you what, if we if we're not being equipped or supported to work on this stuff, it just blows up. So these are all discipleship moments. Yes. I look at all those. But we tend not to think of them as that. But yeah. these are like the discipleship moments. Yeah. This is deep discipleship right exactly. here. Exactly, and that's why the leadership we—that's
2: why the most important thing you can do if you're listening to this—is you want to engage this for yourself first, because then when you see things happening in the culture, the community, you can. It's like Jesus did—you intervene at that moment. That's the teaching moment. Yeah. Um. You see. You see someone. I'll give the example of Christian Nice. You see somebody. Uh. They want to leave the small group because it ends late. Uh, you tell them to go and speak to the table small group leader about it. They go and they say, the Holy Spirit's leading me to another small group. And you know they lied. Okay. That is a moment you put your arm around them and you you know we speak clearly, honestly, uh, and uh, clearly, honestly, and in a timely fashion and truthfully in the new family of Jesus. We don't lie in the new family of Jesus. It's a discipleship moment. Because their family of origin did that, probably generations. Jesus is in your heart, or grandpa's in your bones, we like to say. But discipleship is going to be slow. It's those moments where you can reinforce it. That's why we develop, for example, some relationship skills, some language to create a new culture uh, and a relationships course because people need specific teaching. But here's the thing. If if we don't do it as leaders, we can't help
1: them. Yeah, that's exactly right. By the way, I just want to also commend your uh, statement that what we're trying to do is create cultures. And, uh, uh, you know, a culture becomes where uh, it's how we do things around here. It's who, it's who we are. Um, And culture is way more important than strategy, uh, way more important than tactics, because uh, culture, people catch culture uh, more than they explicitly are taught culture. And that's what you're talking about, is creating that in churches. Hey, Pete, I want to show the diagram. Again, this is another diagram from your book that I think is particularly helpful. Uh, it's called The Incarnation and Dynamics to Love Well. So uh, there's a, a, one of our uh, staff leaders uh, who is um, a full-time in ministry. Her name's Michelle and our church. She, she uses that expression all the time, love well you know that's our goal we want to love well and i thought wow this is a great summary so talk to us about this yeah in other words,
2: the 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 issue of again we're back to loving well is the is the measure of our maturity but it's really hard work so let's say my my let's take let's say my neighbor has gender reconstructive surgery and she becomes a he. Yes what do i do? Well, one, I need to enter their world. Wow, like Jesus, Jesus came into our world. He yeah. became one of us. Uh, I need to listen. OK, help me understand what's happened in your life and how you end up having this gender reconstructive surgery. And then I, 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 I treat them as a vow, you know, and yet I hold on to myself. I'm a Christian. I have a different value system um, than they do. Um, but I'm going to I'm not leaving my Christianity, but I'm entering their world and I'm holding on to myself. I'm differentiated. I got a sense of my values. Um, but i'm safe for them because i'm just i'm with them I'm, I'm listening i'm being with them but i live in a tension like jesus between two worlds
0: that was awesome and i can't think of a better way to describe What it looks like to begin discipling people that don't know Jesus yet. Living in the tension between the two worlds. The world of following Jesus and the world of not following Him. What a beautiful explanation of that. And I hope that you, along with me, aspire to do that in my neighborhood, in my community, and in my circle of friends. All right, real quick before I sign off here, don't forget November 4th and 5th. 2021 we're having the national disciple making forum again here in Nashville Tennessee it's going to be awesome so go over to discipleship.org and purchase your tickets today all right guys thanks so much for listening I'll see you next time